Well, it is that time of month again. It's time for us to talk about sort of overlooked horror films here on Certified Forgotten. As always, I am half of your mats because you can never have just one. You always need a spare in case something goes wrong. I am Matt Monagle. I am joined, as always, by my intrepid co-Matt, Matt Donato. How you doing, buddy? Did you just call me spare parts? I, it sort of is up to the viewer as to which one of us is the spare mat. We don't have to sort that out for themselves. It's subjective. Ah, yes, I like that. Open-ended. Open-ended insults on Certified Forgotten. Yep, that's the beauty of the show. Um, and, as always, it's not just the two of us, although we might do that someday. I threaten that now just for funsies. Uh, Matt, will you please introduce our awesome guest for the week? Absolutely. With us this week, we have horror film journalist, critic, and all-around phenomenal writer, Miss Marissa Mirabal. You may have read her stuff on Birth Movies Death, Slash Film, Fangoria, or just saying very intelligent things all across the internet that make me jealous sometimes. Marissa, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Hey guys, Matt and Matt. Yeah, that won't be confusing at all later on. Nope, that's going to be fine. So Marissa, usually when we bring somebody in, um, you know, we let them pick the, we've, we've actually historically picked the movie and kind of Matt Donato has done a really good job of matching them. We gave you a pick and I'm excited. We'll talk about that in a minute because you kind of chose this one. So we're going to put a little extra burden on you to explain why. <laughs> but before we get there, um, I want to know a little bit about your relationship to the horror genre, because we always bring in people that have kind of a cool connection to it, a personal connection. They're either horror critics like yourself that have actually written about horror exclusively at times, or people that have kind of a background in it. So what were the what were the early days for you? Like, when did you start watching stuff and thinking like, oh, like these scary movies, I think this is what I kind of want to watch more of? Sure. So I always grew up with um, horror elements in my life or Halloween just in general, because I my birthday is in October. So um, my parents would always throw me Halloween themed, um, birthdays. And so this sort of folklore around, you know, ghosts and haunted houses and zombies and witches, you know, that was always very comforting for me as a kid. Cause I just had so many positive memories associated with it. So I was already kind of, you know, from a very young age, from as early as I can remember, um, into more of the spooky types of entertainment and um you know kid related uh kid like almost like kid friendly horror in a sense you know um was a huge fan of beetlejuice and little monsters those were like my two favorite films growing up in terms of more like mature horror i would say um it was around the time my older brother started bullying me a little bit when I was probably about maybe six or seven years old and he would babysit me. He would try and scare me and uh, he would play, um, you know, chi- he would play child's play, Halloween and poltergeist <clears throat> in order to, you know, I guess just, you know, what, what older brothers do, I suppose. But and it worked for a little bit. You know, I got pretty scared of I got pretty scared of Chucky, I'm not going to lie. And then <laughs> um, Poltergeist really freaked me out too. But in order to not be scared, um, I learned how to disassociate and kind of deconstruct films from a young age. So, you know, I would mute it and then be like, okay, well, obviously, since it's not that scary with the sound, you know, um, off – I started to take more of appreciation for film scores. And so whenever I would watch movies later on, um, I would always pay attention to scores and the music in them. And then started thinking about more practical effects. Like, okay, well, this is just a movie. And then you think about the people on set, um, the people that go into making these puppets. It's not real. Just basically trying to figure out any kind of way to break down these scary movies so I'm not scared anymore whether that be the technical side of it or um thinking about bloopers and things like that you know so I had an appreciation for it and then a fear as I got older and then an appreciation and then I loved it and in whatever movie he wanted to kind of throw my way I was like okay yeah show me you know so (laughs) no I think it's really interesting because I think that also plays into your writing whether that's conscious or not um because whenever I read your stuff it's so much the production side of things and you'll approach these topics and you'll do these articles about like the Foley sound and you'll do the costumes and stuff like that. Things that I've never even thought about on that deeper level where you're bringing all that expertise in. So I like, I find that really interesting that that's, 
it, it, there's a conscious reason why this is all happening and not just like it out of nowhere. Yeah, it was a um, it was a defense mechanism from being kind of bullied, like trying my older brother trying to bully me as a kid. But it made me have an appreciation for it. So yeah, I my a lot of my writing can be very technical. Um, appreciation for like you said, um, scores and production design and foley for sure. I'm a sucker for good production design. Honestly, that's one reason I love Halloween and horror so much. Is I think like the set construction and also practical practical effects i love practical effects so um big fan of you know 80s horror films and uh i can always sort of appreciate that and when you know i see films now that come out in the horror genre that are saturated with cg it's always a little bit of a bummer but um you know that's such an underrated art form that i feel like can get some more love even though it's like 2019 but um, it's still something that I really appreciate. So that's interesting that you pick up on it, but this is the reason why, essentially. Yeah, no, I definitely pick up on it. And also, I like the fact that somebody else here is just as terrified or was just as terrified as uh, Chucky than me, because that, w- that was also my uh, one of my first fears. That was one of my first horror villains that sent me, honestly, away from the horror genre for a while. So welcome, welcome to the club oh. and thank you. <laughs> Yeah, well, and they had these dolls back in the day called American Girl Dolls that a lot of um, my friends were playing with, and I just didn't want ha- I didn't want to have anything to do with them. You know, I just kept thinking they were going to come alive at night. So, um, yeah, I wasn't into it. I wasn't into dolls, and then that movie Dolly um, was all and dolls were also really creepy. But um, I think another part of the horror genre, which is it's kind of sci-fi, but like one of the freakiest films I saw when I was younger was Fire in the Sky. Do y'all remember that? That was one that really did mm. me in too. Yeah, I remember that one. I'm, I'm going to double back to what Donato was saying because sort of the big theme of Certified Forgotten has been that Donato and I were fucking cowards when we were kids <laughs> and then we accidentally fell in love with the horror genre. But I, I can do both of you one better. I actually had one of those My Buddy dolls, like the the dolls that the Chucky model was based oh, on. Wow. And the the reason that I never watched Child's Play until literally this year is because uh, my cousin and I during sleepovers would like beat the shit out of it until we learned that Chucky was a thing and we were convinced the doll was going to wake up and exact years Karma, worth of revenge. You have angered the my buddy doll. <laughs> no, like there, I had nightmares because it went in a black garbage bag in my garage. My dad put it up there and I was like, I just know. I just know that I'm going to like, it's going to crawl its way out of the bag and like, commando crawl its way across the hallway and it was yeah the most scary i i recently did a piece about the new child's play and the practical effects with todd masters team and you know the puppetry and animatronics that go into that both in the original and in the remake are so impressive you know it's terrifying because it's effective and it is practical and that's one reason why we're talking about it so many years later and it scarred us and we're kids you know if we had seen that and if it were cg i don't think it would have the same impact no not at all you know so what you're what you're saying is that the new child's play is a good movie i'm I'm saying the practical effects are great i i really appreciate it and the robotics and the thought that they put behind it um you know we can have a more in-depth modern child's play conversation later on but i mean there are some components that i enjoyed about that film yeah i know what you're trying to do here matt you're trying to trigger me right now (laughs) Look, I, I think it's great, but it's not the movie that we are on the podcast to discuss. So, we'll, <laughs> nice dodge before you get me going on that. Good. We'll finish. We'll finish this conversation at Fantastic Fest in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Give me like three um, shots, and I'll just start screaming about the Chucky uh, CGI at the end. I don't think you need any alcohol to do that. That is true. To be perfectly but honest. give it to me anyway, and I'll make it easier. Fair enough. Fair enough. You've had a hard couple of weeks. Um, so Marissa, uh, one of the other questions we like to ask folks too is kind of talking about um, when they started to take ownership over over movies because a lot of horror fans are, you know, they are introduced to the genre by somebody else like you and your asshole brother. I'm sorry, he's probably a nice guy. Oh no, um, we're cool now. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, like, when did you start kind of developing a niche or, or like, you know, started watching horror films and you were like, these are my selections. I'm finding stuff at Blockbuster or whatever that I'm like, oh yeah, now this is my genre. Sure. Um, I would say probably around, you know, maybe like six, seven, eight, because we would go to Blockbuster, but I mean, 
you know, having an older brother, I was introduced to um, movies that I probably shouldn't have seen so young and also music that I, you know, I was listening to like Metallica and, you know, The Doors and elementary school and, you know, like Led Zeppelin stuff. I feel like I was kind of introduced to things a little bit early on. Um, Thank you to him. Thanks to him. But yeah, I was always really intrigued too by the cover art of, you know, old school VHS, especially in the horror genre, because I felt like they were, it was way more um, enticing and just intriguing to me than say comedy or, um, you know, even drama and cartoons. You know, I still remember vividly the VHS cover for House and it was just like this severed hand that's ringing the doorbell, but I always... Like, that scared me. The covers would freak me out and make me want to watch the movie. And then sometimes the movie wouldn't even hold up to the cover. Like, that's really not that scary of a film. Um, It's actually more comedy. So I think around probably eight years old, and that was also around the time, too, when I was reading a lot of uh, Goosebumps and, um, you know, scary stories to tell in the dark, uh, so it was just kind of, I feel like aspects of horror and um, spooky entertainment has always just sort of been uh, threaded throughout my life in various ways. But when I started to kind of own it and embrace it and sort of tell my friends about it and try and get them on board, probably like eight. <laughs> probably like eight. No, <laughs> I love how that answer is way younger than I actually thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. No, which is great in the best way, because I was going to say, like, I didn't start owning horror and, like, actually being able to recommend it. Not until, like, my honestly, my, like, 20s, like, early oh, 20s. Wow. Like, that's why I, I'm not joking when I say I avoided the horror genre for a long time, and it just wow. wasn't my thing. So, yeah, and I like the, uh, the VHS conversation, uh, the VHS cover conversation, because we actually had that with uh, Melissa Kay as well, your friend over there oh, in Austin. Yeah, I love that. She, she said the same, basically the same thing you did. And her pick was uh, Night of the Creeps. And so again, like, those covers are just so important to a horror film. Whether they're good or not, that artwork and that colorfulness and the playfulness still got us to watch them every time. I mean, I can still remember uh, Return of the Living Dead, that kind of like graffiti zombie uh, graveyard kind of artwork. I love that. And that's yeah. another one that drew me to it immediately. And I ended up finding one of my favorite horror movies ever through it. Uh, Matt Monable, you know what other, other movie is a great DVD cover uh, in the horror genre? Oh, just do it. Demon Wind. <laughs> Thank you. I, we got it out of the way early. Yeah, I mean, I feel like especially being a little kid, um, you're very you're a very visual person. So I'm not picking up the back of a VHS cover and reading the synopsis. I'm looking at the artwork first and foremost, and whatever draws me to that you know, is usually, um, just, yeah, based on aesthetics. So, um, that's how I got my start. I would pick the creepiest covers I could find like, Ooh, can I handle that movie? What's that movie? You know? So. Well, talk, moving that a little bit forward to today, um, before we talk about the film itself, where, where do you get your good recommendations now? Where do you find that, you know, since we don't have the luxury anymore of kind of you know thumbing through the aisles of the local video store, sort of, we do, I guess, if you go to Vulcan video, but, um, you know, where do you find that you're getting a lot of your best recommendations? Where do you find you're, you're hearing about titles and finding things to take chances on? Yeah. Um, well, you know, we're very fortunate. I'm based in Austin, so I'm very fortunate to have, you know, Vulcan video. I love video. So it's cool that I can still have the opportunity to go to the video store, which I do. And, um, browse the horror sections which they have a pretty good selection at each of those stores but um other than that i had probably say friends um critic friends keeping an eye on everyone's reviews and what they're talking about um even if i'm just kind of a wallflower on social media sometimes i do like to kind of keep an eye out for what people are talking about or what they recommend and you know, I'm really bad about it, but I've been trying to get better about Letterboxd, using that as a ref- resource. I know a lot of people do, but I've been forcing myself to kind of find recommendations on there as well. So mostly just people on the scene and local video stores and yeah, 
online. <laughs> yeah, no, I think letter Letterbox is a great one to use a little bit, um, just as long as like the people you're following. Like I've curated my list to only follow the people that I know are going to give me those deep dives. Um, like I love following Rob Hunter, one of our friends, because he'll always be checking off these weird out of nowhere. Well, not out of nowhere and weird, just uh, Korean horror that I haven't seen yet or heard of yet. So yeah, let I think Letterbox is great for that kind of stuff. But it is it's a double edged sword because then I post like my review of Clownado. And I get literally Gosh. some dude wrote like a two paragraph fuck you to me today because wow. it was, you know, I gave it like 1.5 stars. And in my review, I kind of wrote, I'm like, it's a mess of an independent horror film. And they try and they try to have fun, but I'm like, it never gets there. And then I complimented a few things. This guy like basically read the first sentence and he's like, you're what's wrong with indie horror uh, appreciation. And these are people making unique movies and you're just out here trying to destroy them. And I'm like, buddy i i'm like the last person you should be telling that to <laughs> like, look look back at what else i've rated here man so I, yeah like letterbox still has a little bit of that like troll culture on it and it always like seeps in a little bit yeah i'm not into that kind of toxicity i mean everyone has nah. their opinions, but you know that's kind of lame um yeah i mean letterbox is great i just i'm just bad at keeping up with it you know but it is good because different especially in the critic circle and the writer's circle people have their different tastes you know like i you know matt i'm totally into black coat starter i'm not going to go down that rabbit hole right now but like i get like i'm in atmospheric horror horror as well you know comedic horror that's one reason i chose this film because i kind of wanted to branch out a little bit from what i typically watch but um it is cool to kind of talk to other people in the scene who have specific subgenre tastes you know that usually aren't my jam but i'm open to it and want to see why they love it you know well that is a perfect segue then i think to talking about today's movie which you already know because it's on the title of the podcast but it is hansel and gretel get baked um a gosh you know what actually donato can i kick this one over to you i think i think this is a, this is a discussion. no it's gonna be way more fun if you have to do no this. man i i want to hear your take on hansel and gretel get baked <laughs> okay all right hold on. <clears throat> okay the fairy tale that is hansel and gretel has haunted the children of our generation and countless generations before us this movie is nothing like that it is about a pair of young california siblings california siblings with awkward sexual tension who discover a, a witch played by uh, Men in Black and the practice star Laura Flynn Boyle, who is growing a particular strand of weed called Black Forest. If you don't get it, this is probably not the movie for you. What happens is Hansel and Gretel get uh, trapped in the witch's house. And does she end up in an oven? I don't know. You'd have to watch. I think if you are familiar with the Hansel and Gretel story, you kind of know the beats that they're going to play with. It is a movie that takes the bones of that and tries to make a million weed puns on top of it. And uh, it succeeds in that regard quite a bit. So there we go. Is that how you describe it, Donato? Yes. I like the disdain in your voice that I knew was going to be there. <laughs> so that's really why I wanted you to do it. I don't want to know. I So, all right, we, we, we'll get into this, but I don't, I don't hate the movie as much as I probably sound like I hate it, but I want to like I want to start with I want to start with you actually, Matt. Before we talk to Marissa, I want to start with you because this is one of the things we have like this giant working list of movies that have five or less reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. It's a hard thing to just pull out of thin air, so we actually have to like build a database of them. What like I you had reviewed this, of course. You're one of the people on there. What got this on the list for you? What made you think this is a great addition for a future guest on the show? So I think a few reasons uh, kind of come together on this. And number one, this is one of those IFC movies. I think it was IFC or Tribeca. Um, you know, one of those movies that they released before IFC Midnight got the notoriety that it not now has. I feel like every IFC Midnight movie now that comes out, you at least know about it, you hear about it, and people are talking about it. This was one of those releases when they were still finding their footing and still kind of coming up in the distribution scene. And for some reason, whatever or not, you know, I was one of the people that was always reviewing their stuff, but not a lot of other people were. So I just know for myself, I could go back and look at all these old school IFC Tribeca releases. And I knew that no one has touched them for years. So, I mean, number one, that was an easy way for me just to go back and just go through my Rotten Tomatoes and find all these films to put on our list. But then also, as you said before, it's kind of got a pretty solid cast. It has a weird enough idea. There's enough, 
I'm not going to call it vibrancy, but there's enough in there to make it unique. There's enough richness in the story that it wasn't just another indie horror flick. I mean, we're going to encounter those as we do this. Obviously, we're going to encounter those films that are low budget and not always the best because we are reviewing films that have five or less reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. There's a reason some get ignored. Sometimes it's not the best reason, though, and I feel like uh, Hansel and Gretel Get Baked falls under that not best reason. Everyone just assumed it was VOD in a time when VOD had a stigma on it, so it was immediately looked over. Now, VOD is fine. VOD is one of, it, it's one of the only ways that some films are even going to get released. So that stigma is gone, and that's why you have so many more people reviewing these films. But yeah, I wanted to get Hansel and Gretel on the list because I liked it when I first saw it. I feel like it got unfairly overlooked because it was VOD in a time when VOD was not known for what it is now. And yeah, it's a fucking weird uh, fairy tale kind of riff that gets baked. (laughs) All right. Okay. So now we have why it was on the list. Good reasons all. Um, Actually, really appreciate the logic there. Marissa, you're up. We gave you a list. You picked this one. (laughs) Tell us why. Um. Kind of what we were talking about a little bit earlier. It's just a little bit out of my wheelhouse. Um, I mean, I love horror comedy, don't get me wrong, but it's not something that I necessarily go to all the time. So I just, you know, the cast struck me and then I watched the trailer and, you know, it looked like a pretty good production quality. And, um, you know, I grew up reading the grim fairy tales and... I uh, just liked a stoner spin on them, so I thought it'd be I thought it'd be fun, and it you know struck my fancy out of the other ones. So uh, yeah, I went with that one. <laughs> okay, all right. So what did we think? What did you think? Wait, I want to ask you first. What did you think when you first saw like the trailer and looked at it, and like what were you expecting versus what you got? What was I? Oh, I, I actually, sorry, I want to ask that to Matt, because Matt is totally like, this is not his kind of movie, and when you picked it, I was like, oh, this is going to just ruin Matt's day. So <laughs> I am, I'm just curious what, Matt, you were expecting when you tweeted, or you, like, messaged me, and you're like, of course, this is the one we're watching. Aww. And then, and then like, you watched it, though, and you did admit you didn't hate it as much as you did. So, like, what was your expectation, and what did you get? Yeah, I'll, I'll say that the the trailer thing, actually, I did not, I didn't watch the trailer for this. Um, I tra- I, I'm not a huge fan in general, of watching trailers for movies I know I'm going to watch, um, which is a whole other conversation. But, you know, I'm pretty sure, I, I, I wasn't sure what to think. To me, Hansel and Gretel Gets Baked uh, kind of has that early VOD, like you said, um, stigma to it, particularly like early Netflix, where it was a platform that couldn't afford a ton, but it could afford a lot of cheap stuff. And so when you think of these new fly-by-night platforms that come up, like things like what crackle used to be or when Amazon prime got into the business, whenever one of these people, these startup companies get together and be like, we bought a package of movie rights and we have one original show that stars, God, I don't know, some Z list Disney celebrity. Like this is the kind of movie I expect they have in that rotation. It's just something that was cheap that they could afford. Um, That was my expectation going in. And I will say that while this movie is inexpensive, um, the experience of watching it, I didn't, I never hated it. Like after we were done, my wife was like, so what'd you think? I was like, I didn't hate it. And that sounds, that sounds like a negative thing. But as you said, Matt, like this is a movie that's, that it runs more towards horror comedy. It veers a little bit more towards like the low budget, which isn't necessarily a bad thing in my book, but there's definitely the, a bunch of us California people got together and made a movie in California vibe, which is super different than a bunch of us anywhere else in the world got together and made a movie. It doesn't hit on a lot of the points that I would normally like, but the humor isn't as forced as I thought it was going to be. The visuals are, are fine for the budget that is working with. It feels like something you could watch with a crowd or watch under the influence and actually have a good time with. I respect that. Okay. Because I, again, I, I knew coming into this, this was one that wasn't on the top of your list and I knew it wouldn't be. And that's kind of also why I did put it on our database because I'm like, I really want to get his take on it and not even just like masochistically make you watch it. I, like I did genuinely want to know like what you would think about a film like this. And 
kind of discovering it for the first time. So that that's very interesting. And you did watch it with your wife? No, God, no, she never watches oh. anything. She doesn't watch any of this stuff with me. Are you kidding me? <laughs> well, you said you. All right, never mind. No, 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 I was no. Like, she watched it too. I'm like, <laughs> no, no, no. You've met my wife. Both of you have. You know better than that. Um, this is fair. No, yeah. it's, she doesn't watch it with me. She just asks me after. She reads, reads the Wikipedia summary and then asks me later how I enjoyed it and tries to compare that to what she read in the Wikipedia. So um, I don't even know if there's a Wikipedia for this or not. But no, of like course. it's, yeah, it's, it's you know, we'll, we'll talk about more of it in a second. But I, I will say that that I do, you've talked a lot in previous episodes, Matt, about how passionate you are ab- about this kind of tier of horror where it's people that are getting together and they don't have the resources to do something spectacular. So they try and do something that they feel really passionate about. I think that this kind of falls into that bucket, even though it's a ton of really like low hanging fruit weed jokes. It's clearly something by a group of people that were like, you know, this is our shot to just sort of step outside of where our careers are headed and make a movie for ourselves. And I, I like, I like that. I like, watching movies where I feel like the people involved give a shit about whether the movie's any good or not. I think the, this group of filmmakers clearly did. They, they clearly tried really hard to make this a good film. And I think, yeah, I'm so I'll take my, my stance on it first. I stand by my positive review from a while ago. Uh, I kind of, you know, reread it a little bit, read the beats and I still agree with the fact that it's a fun stoner take on a children's uh, story, but the way they do it and the actors that they actually get to play the stoners, they lean into the concept and the, the, the gimmick, I guess we can call it, so hard between uh, Laura from Boyle as the witch and she is so evil and the way that she is so nonchalant about how she's a murderous witch who eats uh, drug, not, you know, people who buy her drugs. I, she is so good mm-hmm. at it. And, but then also looking at the other side of things, you have Molly C. Quinn as Gretel and she is stoned for a lot of the movie because she is one of the quote unquote stoners who is addicted to Black Forest. And also it's not easy to play a stoner and it's not easy to play a drunk person and be natural about it. I feel very much as someone who has smoked before and who has been around people smoking that Molly C. Quinn kind of nails that vibe in the way that like she just kind of like floats for the first half of the movie and is so just kind of caught up in Black Forest and after it wears down, you see the other side of her persona because she's no longer high. I like the duality. I think the cast carries a lot of weight here, but I think it's also very fun to watch. I mean, I agree. I thought it was pretty fun. I was pleasantly surprised. Um, I just went in with an open mind looking for a good time, and I know I had fun with it. Um, I think the characters were... You know, I mean, we're not talking about a ton of depth here or there weren't even really like an, there wasn't really an arc. So it's not that kind of a journey. It's, um, it's a pretty standard formulaic stoner comedy, but that's okay. Cause you know, there's aspects of it that are silly and stereotypical. And, um, I did enjoy the, there were a few, um, Easter eggs that alluded to the actual fairy tale, which I appreciated. And, um, you know, whether that be uh, Gretel's attire, I really liked her costume um, choices, the way that she was dressed. And then um, that really played into the character, too. And then, you know, there was, I mean, just side note, have y'all read the fairy tale before? Just curious. I mean, a, the Grim Fairy a long time ago. Like, I haven't read it recently. Yeah. I didn't reread it, so it's not as fresh in my mind. But I read so many great illustrated classics when I was a kid that I have no idea what I've read or not read anymore. <laughs> well, so I read this one before watching the movie, just out of curiosity in terms of comparison. And um, I did like how they took a couple things. So even like the strain of weed, Black Forest, that's in the first line of the fairy tale. You know, they live in this dark forest, this Black Forest. And um, another fun thing was that like the dogs in the film have glowing red eyes and the witch in the fairy tale, you know, her eyes would glow and she could smell children. yeah, little things like that were kind of sprinkled throughout the movie, which I always appreciate, you know, if when you're dealing with any type of adaptation, you know, um, any kind of little 
you know, reference to the source material is always fun, how they play into that. And then, you know, the breadcrumb scenes, like how they utilize that in the film as well. So I think they did an overall good job. I would have liked to see a little bit more of that. Um, but for what it was, you know, I, I enjoyed it. All right. I'm going to actually, I want you to expand on that if you don't mind, because in, in my recollection, Hansel and Gretel, the story is, is really short and really simple. It's basically they get lost, they show up at the house, it's a witch, they push her in the oven and they're done. So reading reading that story, especially, you know, when you were thinking about, about the movie, how much there is there for a filmmaker to work with? Like how much substance is there in the grim fairy tale that somebody can actually expand upon? Because we've seen a million Hansel and Gretel movies, um, but as we were talking about earlier, I don't feel like any of them have ever actually managed to really tell a story that's super compelling. And I, I always wondered, is that on... The short story itself. Well, I mean, well, we did get Hansel and Gretel witch hunters. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Which I like. That's actually not a joke. I actually like that movie, and I know it has nothing to do with actual Hansel and Gretel. I think, <laughs> like, I, think I read your review for that too. I'm, I'm aware. I mean, that's a good question. Um, it is very short. It's not a very long um, tale by any means, and there's a couple of different variations of it, but. Ultimately, what struck me kind of interesting reading it as an adult was that the their mother in the version I read, it was the later version. So it was technically their stepmother. Um, They're preparing for the winter and they don't have enough food. So uh, she tells her husband, well, we just need to get rid of our children. Essentially, we're going to lead them out into the woods. We're going to leave them with, you know, some bread and they'll figure it out on their own. And then. Well, just abandon your kids in the woods. So that concept in and of itself, it's like, geez, if you can't afford or, you know, to take care of your children, just leave them in the forest to fend for themselves. So it's pretty gnarly, just cutthroat right from the beginning. And then the father's just, you know, he feels bad about it. So there's this, um, there's this moral conscious, I think, that plays into the tale with the the father and um the stepmother and so the kids go out um Hansel and Gretel go out and then they actually find their way back but then they're sent to the woods again and that's when they encounter um the witch and uh it's actually a happy ending which I was surprised I don't really remember because it's been a long time since I've read that and I you know because they are those fairy tales are so grim um uh, you know oh oh uh <laughs> Fun intended. But anyway, like I figured it would be a darker ending, but it was actually a happy ending. Um, both in terms of the witch dying and um the mother or the stepmother dying as well. And then the kids make it back to their father and they just kind of live happily ever after. And in the film, they don't really explore the parents at all. You know, they're out of town from the beginning. I don't even think that they're on screen at all. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't remember seeing. No, we don't. We don't see the parents at all. This is just the uh, stoners. Yeah, so they they are out of town, and then were you know with Hansel and Gretel and their story. So that's that was kind of interesting too. Like there's no there's no parental involvement at all. Um, but I feel like there's a couple of different angles you could take with it. Um, but there isn't a whole lot. There are some like mythology behind it there's like a talking duck that helps them cross the river to safety which is really random um but yeah i mean there's some stuff that that... <laughs> i was gonna say that would have been a great like stoner hallucination if they worked that into the movie like how do they miss out on having a talking duck who helps them <laughs> i know instead of having the music notes float through the air just have like a talking duck kind of guide them to the witch's house or something that would have been amazing okay well now i know that they didn't <laughs> conceptualize everything they should have from the sto- short story but i still think in my mind i think it plays enough with the food and the food elements that go into Hansel and Gretel get baked where it's it, for me at least it's drawing enough from the short story and it's drawing enough in there where you have adapted successfully a children's story into this <laughs> kind of not even raunchy, but definitely more mature themed take on a mother goose kind of tale. Sure. Well, let me ask the two of you a question then um, about 
like let's the title let's let's talk about the title real quick do you think that calling this movie hansel and gretel get baked does the movie a favor do you think that that works in its advantage or do you think that works as a disadvantage because there is kind of this whole sub subgenre of like weed horror that became popular um in the 2000s and it all i mean there's an audience for it but it also immediately hamstrings your quality you know people know the type of movie it's going to be or have assumptions about the type of movie it's going to be do you think if this had a more conventional name and walked in people might have given it more of a chance do you think that the title is i think i know where donato is going to fall on this do you think the title is like the key to the whole thing what do you think of hansel and gretel get baked as the title for this movie i mean i'll i'll just go real quick yeah because you already know my answer here i think it's (laughs) named exactly how it should be it leans into the get baked aspect of the story i mean that's what it's selling it's it is selling a, a stoner recreation of this tale so why hide that you're going to get the audience that you're intended for here. You're going to give them the story that they're already expecting and that they want. And it just, it does lean into the ridiculousness of it all because that's the kind of movie it wants to be. It wants to be that B movie, that midnighter that is, you know, it doesn't go up in smoke exactly, but one of those midnighters that you can watch and have fun with. So I think it all plays in. I mean, like, yeah, it gets baked. It's a pun in itself. Obviously the witch gets baked in the story, like all that stuff tying into it. I think the the name is kind of spot on for what it should be. I agree. Yeah. I think it leans in. And if it were something um, that wasn't a pun with, you know, the stoner storyline, but also the fairy tale as well, um, it might come off like it's taking itself too serious. And then therefore the tone uh, might get lost a little bit or the expectations wouldn't necessarily be there. And... I think it works really well. Honestly, I like the cup, the kind of the double meaning behind it. Um, I think it works. Okay. And it caught my attention, you know, and that's not even my type of genre, but I mean, it seemed fun. So. All right. Okay. Then I'm, I'm happy to be outvoted a little bit on the title because I would have, I don't know. I would have loved to have seen them maybe not, not as heavily, to the humor in it and let people maybe come across it a bit more organically. I think there's plenty of movies with Hansel and Gretel as the title. What's one more? Just throwing it into the mix. Because, but right. I under- yeah, but there are so many though. That's from. the thing. How are you going to set yours apart? Oh, Lars is a stoner comedy. Let's make sure everyone knows. <laughs> well, I mean, like, they can't all be titled Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters. I mean, Donato. listen, there's only one Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters. And it's a shame that there's only one because we deserve a sequel. Well, well when to- I read your review, Matt, I I forgot that there was a surge of Hansel and Gretel adaptations yeah, right? years ago. I totally forgot. So that was another reason I kind of wanted to pick this one um, because it was just sort of a blind spot for me in a lot of different ways. Yeah, and the, the thing is, is, you know, I think that there's probably, uh, and we talked a little bit, um, Donato, before you came on about uh, Oz Perkins' upcoming Gretel and Hansel. I can't really call it a remake, but an adaptation. And the thing is, is like, I feel like there's a moment here where you could make a movie setting aside kind of the, the weed sensibilities in it. But the idea of like, you know, the old and the affluent literally trying to consume the young and the young pushing them into their own fire, like politically, it's the sort of smart cultural biting satire that would combine with such a entertaining, fluffy veneer that you can kind of push those two things together and come up with something really sharp if you're in the mindset for that. So, you know, when we did have that wave, I was, it, 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 I saw a couple of them and I was just, now I've seen a couple of them and I'm surprised. I'm like, none of these are really, really going for broke in the way that, that I think they could have with, with the subversive element of horror. And I wonder if that'll open this narrative up to more adaptations in the future outside of just Gretel and Hansel, because that generational divide that like consumption stuff, like there's a, there there. And if the, one of the things that we've seen from the Toronto international film festival reviews is, is this idea of like eat the rich and how prevalent that is. I'm like, Oh, literally that's the Hansel and Gretel story. Use that. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Nobody. Yeah. Nobody's going to react to that. Come on, for that. She has something to say first, but. No, no. I mean, that makes me think of society too. Um, 
But which, you know, cannibalism in general is just, it's not one of those subgenres that I usually gravitate towards. But I mean, I think it's a really valid point. But then there's also that, you know, age old sort of, um, you know, when you listen to or read folklore tales, don't trust people as easily. Um, you know, even if they're adults, like, uh, don't listen to people so much like Hansel and Gretel, you know, they go to the witch's house and she says everything's fine. And even in the movie, because she's an older woman, um, people don't think that she's a threat. So it's interesting when that's sort of played out in a nefarious and dangerous situation. So those types of tales that are meant to warn kids, um, as they mature, I kind of like that aspect of it too. Like, Hmm. you know, there is that class sort of mentality, but, um, also just like, you can't trust people, you know, that you think you can, I guess. And, you know, there's this deception behind it. So, and I think they play well into that. Um, and the, even, I mean, honestly, like how they went, how they approached the witch and how she consumed uh, her victims. I kind of liked it. I thought the gore was pretty good, honestly, for the budget. Um, it was pretty gnarly. Yeah, I, I did want to yeah, get the, there. We got to tap you in for the gore. Yeah, yeah. Of Talk course. No, the gore. the gore was definitely a high point. <laughs> and I like the fact that the gingerbread in this, in this gets baked story is basically first Hansel and, well, sorry, not Hansel. It's Gretel and her boyfriend, Ashton, are baked on Black Forest, and they run on Black Forest. So the first thing is like, oh, we have cookie mix, and we're going to make gingerbread cookies. So you have the allusion to the gingerbread, and you're like, all right, how is this going to play in? Obviously, Laura Flamboyles, which does not live in a gingerbread house in the middle of California, or where they're, wherever they are, it's a very nice house, and with a very big weed uh, weed growing kind of factory warehouse in the basement. But you still get the gingerbread house in that Ashton is so high and he's such a stoner and he's like being so not thinking in the moment that there's a gingerbread house. Yes, exactly. He has the munchies 1000% and he sees a gingerbread (laughs) house and Laura Flynn Boyle is like, yo, don't eat that gingerbread, dude. Just like sit there for a few minutes. I'll be right back. And what's the first thing he does? He eats the gingerbread house, immediately cursing him. And I like the fact that basically she eats him back. Like, that's the punishment. The punishment is, all right, well, you ate my gingerbread. I'm going to now eat you. And she starts, like, flaying his skin away. You get the whole, like, uh, he thinks that she's going to perform fellatio on him. And um, he's like, I just don't want to look. And she's like, okay. So, of course, she just stabs him with, like, a meat fork. And she pulls an eye out and just eats it right in front of the camera, like full on bites into the eye. Like it's a freaking candy or something like that. And yeah, I, I like the gore in those scenes. I like that it goes right for that. And it's, it's pretty vicious for a low budget film in that sense. Yeah, it really is. I will say that you, you skipped over a little bit, but the, uh, my favorite part in the entire movie is when he hacks into her little gingerbread house. And the first thing that he sees is her Nazi <laughs> right. passport. I was like, all right. Yeah. Like, I see what kind of movie you're going to be, and I'm not entirely disinterested in it. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that for a quick second. And then, yeah, when I was rewatching it last night, I was like, oh, right. Like, why? <laughs> she also has the Nazi paraphernalia there for no reason. Yeah. So random. And um, even, like, the uh, the whole theme of, you know, eating and cannibalism and all that stuff – did y'all get pick up on the product placement with like the cheesecake factory was randomly mentioned like two or three times. <laughs> and then did y'all get, I mean, I don't know. It was just kind of funny. Maybe they did craft service for the I was going to say, hey, they, they had to make that budget somewhere. And if a uh, cheesecake factory wants to be associated with cannibalism, that is, that is their own choice. I mean, <laughs> I seriously mentioned it like three times. And then the whole, um, the well, tobacco, tabasco too like there was just some weird product placement that i kind of noticed that stuck out it was well, kind even of think about the uh, the gingerbread package is a betty crocker like just you can the red box <laughs> is right in camera and you see like the betty crocker kind of like instant gingerbread thing <laughs> like yeah again yeah, yeah, you know you got to make that money somehow you got to get someone to produce the film and i don't know if they, these these companies want to be associated with the munchies i guess that's definitely a positive aspect but 
then you get the uh you know the rival drug dealer coming to storm the gates of the witch's house and uh, he gets uh fauceted to death basically hung upside down and gets stuck with a uh hose faucet that uh, laura flynn boyle turns on so again fun. yeah mm-hmm. you get some fun gore moments you get some fun gore beats people turn into zombies out of nowhere like this is that was so random. yeah exactly and random is like the keyword but it's it's that fun off the rails way where it yeah. brings something definitely different and it plays with the dark aspect i mean the whole thing about grim fairy tales is we always remember like the mother goose fairy tales as kids and we get the watered down version but grim fairy tales are exactly that. They're grim. They're dark. There is a reason why they are kind of morbid and macabre. And I like that this treatment, you know, the getting stone, get baked treatment, very much goes into the dark humor and the very, very black sensibilities of the actual grim fairy tale. Well, we haven't talked. We've kind of talked about her a little bit. Um, but I want to spend some time talking about Laura Flynn Boyle, too, because this is actually the penultimate movie of her career. I hope that's not true but she's only done one other film since then um you know this obviously she's she's cutting loose in a way that that you know any any actor can do but she's actually doing it well which is that balancing act uh what do we think about her performance marissa i'll start with you i enjoyed it i thought she was a really fun um you know version of a witch, a female witch, and um, utilizing different aspects of femininity in a sense. You know, I think I, I mentioned this a little bit earlier. She was playing into the innocent old woman. She leans into the seductive older woman. Um, and then, which was kind of a whole weird scene when um, it was the friend, one of the people who went missing the girlfriend went to go look for her at the witch agnes's house and there's this whole awkward sexual vibe between them which was very random and i don't really know if it worked very well but she was just kind of leaning into all these different aspects of um being a woman i suppose and then um yeah i thought that was kind of interesting but i just liked her i liked her approach she was very um very deceptive but also uh funny in her delivery and her puns you know so there were moments of comedy that you know as the viewer you're in on it or she knows and her victims don't that i think work really well in terms of just silly dialogue and very you know straightforward it's not super deep or anything like that but i think her performance was good both on a comical level and also um you know serious at times too i would like to see her in more dark roles because i mostly know her from twin peaks um as donna hayward which i love her character in that but i would totally love to see her explore more within the genre and maybe a little bit more of like a serious film yeah i think that my favorite part about her performance is the way that she always is like 10 steps ahead of whoever she's talking to because most of the time she's talking to stoners who have no idea what's going on to begin with. Um, you know, you mentioned the girlfriend coming before to find who's gone missing in the witch's house. And that's in addition to Gretel. So Gretel's boyfriend goes missing. Then there's like an interim drug dealer in there. And the interim, his name is Manny, I believe. The interim drug dealer goes missing too. We know that's because he's gone to the witch's house. There's some strong arming going on and he ends up dying. He turns into the zombie. But now you have Gretel and Manny's girlfriend going together. And that is where the scene happens between the, the sometimes awkward sexual tension. Why is this happening? You, you know, it's just a hot young actress and girl trying to find her boyfriend. And yes, okay, so why is Laura Flynn Boyle just immediately attracted to her? It's, it's kind of a reach, but... Still, the way Laura Flynn Boyle leans into being this witch and leans into being this evil, evil entity that does not care about anyone and is peddling weed. And it's part businesswoman and part like satanic, just fucking from the underworld kind of role that she is loving. You could tell she's having fun with it. You could tell she's pun intended eating it up. Yeah. And that's my favorite part. Whenever she goes in for the kill, and she just has that huge smile on her face. 
and she just gives one of those like oh sweetie like kind of like little little puns that they always work to me so she's a big reason why you're watching this movie i like some of the actors in it in the supporting characters you're not gonna get much uh much lasting value there the girlfriend of the drug dealer she's kind of ditzier she's the one eating the skittles and ruining sorry the skittles are breadcrumbs in this film so when they go downstairs into basically this hydroponic Mm -hmm. weed maze where they're trying to get out of the basement now that's so big and you know you're using skittles to get your way back yeah you get the one girl eating the skittles and she's kind of ditzy like oh skittles you'll always save me crap like that like all right we get it you're stoned you're hungry whatever but um I really do think between Lara Flynn Boyle, Molly C. Quinn, and even the guy who plays Hansel, who uh, Michael Welch, who he's the straight, more straight edge character. He is uh, the virgin, and that comes up because he tastes better. But the way that they all lean into their respective parts, it's enough character acting that gets me through this, uh, the scenario. It's enough character acting that plays up what needs to be played up, but without ever getting egregiously hammy. So between those three actors and, again, Laura Flynn Boyle just relishing in the dark and the devious, that's, that's where I win here. That's, that's where it wins me over. Yeah, I, if you look through the cast a little bit, I think one thing that sort of stands out about this, I, I found myself thinking a bit about um, High Moon or, or Howlers, you know, uh, another movie that has been featured on this show. And sort of the, the dividing line, I think, is that this is a cast of kind of like working actors in in the most blue collar kind of way. Like a lot of these people are doing a lot of television and they're doing a lot of DTV and they're paying their bills and you know, they're not bad actors. They're just people that are probably never going to jump or are going to take a while to jump to that next tier in their career. Um, but they're putting in solid work around the edges because of that. And I think that's what separates this from sort of, again, that, that DTV crowd of, of other movies that are sort of, you know, wannabe versions of this is that everybody here has, has a, there's an established level of competency in a lot of the performances. They're uneven at times. They're, some of them are just not that good, but like, there's a sense that like, these are all people that know how to come in and do their work. Um, whereas a lot of movies you end up watching in this tier of films, you know, you're kind of like, was that somebody's uncle? Was that like, did they give the caterer a scene because they couldn't pay him? Is that why this guy's in the movie? At least with this, you're like, all right, I understand. These are all actors. These are all people that know how to act. And the movie is better for it. And I mean, you even get Carrie Elwes in the first scene as a meter man who I totally forgot was even in the movie. And I, for- I forgot. Be- I, I got to interrupt you there yeah. because I watched this over two <laughs> days. I saw the opening credits. I went, oh, Carrie Elwes did not recognize him in the first half, turned it on the next day, finished watching it. His name came yeah. on the credits. And I was like, what? So this like did totally forgot that he was in this from beginning credits to end credits. Yeah. And I think again, but that speaks to the level of the kind of film it is mm-hmm. where you're getting a, an actor such as Carrie and he's playing an intro part. That's just kind of a one-off to basically set up the fact that things are not right, but you're still getting him to do it. And he's still agreeing to be in this film. So Yes, versus the howlers, high moons of the world, where you're getting the uh, who? Who am I? Why am I blanking on the name of the actor, Sean Patrick Flannery, to play like the mayor in a very bumbly role? That kind of okay. Why'd you take this? You're not really giving it your all. In Hansel and Gretel Get Baked, you get the big name actor having fun for a scene and doing their thing, getting in and out, and it doesn't hamper the film. It it, it it's the fun kind of cameo work that. I think is a good mark on a film that knows how to be that camp and also bring in a name that kind of hooks you and use them in a way that you never would guess. Yeah. And he's unrecognizable. When I I went back and watched the beginning of it, honestly, and um, I was like, Oh, that's where he is. Cause I, when I first started it, I didn't even notice him or recognize him at all. But then again, that might be due to other things, but yeah. It was- <laughs> but yes, that, those other things, uh, you haven't brought that up yet. How, how, did, how did that help you? Because I am extremely curious. Okay, so I am not an avid smoker. I haven't smoked in a long time. However, when I chose this movie, I thought it would be fun to revisit and, you know, get high while watching the movie. And yeah, it hit me kind of hard when I first started it. So I like went back later and I was like, okay, that's who, that's where he was. But 
I mean, I just laughed and giggled a lot. It was just ridiculously silly. I picked up on um, the music and the lyrics were so were so ridiculous. Every single theme in that film just relates to weed and stoner culture so much in every single way. And it it's just, I don't know. I mean, you don't have to be high to watch it. It was just a gimmicky thing. I figured, why not? You but know? And, and I feel that... I don't know. I, when I watched it again last night, I feel like it was a movie that was intended for that, though, because... Oh, like, yeah, I'm sure. There's stoner comedies, and there's films that, like, brand themselves as, like, stoner humor. Mm-hmm. But they're kind of just in branding, and they're trying to appeal to that culture when there are other stoner films outright. Like, you know, I watched something like Grandma's Boy, and I know that was meant or not even meant that was probably created by people who were high at the time and it was meant to be watched by high people so i felt like i, I was not at the time but i felt like console girl gets baked fits into that mold so i, I was curious to hear how it did play <laughs> to that demographic yeah for sure and you know it, it kind of reminds me too of half baked you know it's one of those comedy films where I mean, everything just pertains to, you know, that mindset and that culture, which is, you know, fine. I, I mean, it's fun. And and you also don't have to like, it's not, it's not a deep movie. It's not a heady movie. It's not cerebral. So, I mean, it's just something you can kick back and watch, you know, and laugh about. And they know that and they want you to laugh is the thing. And that's what's kind of refreshing about it too, is that I think if it took itself too seriously, it wouldn't work you know, yeah. but they had fun balancing the tone and delivering what they want. And, you know, all of those themes, even the opening sequence is really cool. How they, um, they had the opening title sequence with everyone in the production, the opening credits were all on the cover of like weed bottles and weed packages. And, um, I actually kind of liked that. So there were some unique, uh, different ways that they sort of played with the film, you know, just in that sense that I can appreciate too. Yeah, I'm glad you brought, brought that up because I I wanted to bring up the uh, opening credits as well and just having the producer's name and actor's name on dispensary bottles and stuff like that. Like yeah. it, it just plays everything kind of the right way and it plays it in that funny enough manner where it's still a gimmick, I guess you could call it that, but it becomes the film's identity. It's not a gimmick for gimmick's sake. It's the identity of the film and it actually helps to make it more unique. It makes it stand out. And again, I think that's one of the benefits of Hansel and Gretel Gets Baked. For as dumb as it may be and as silly as it may be, that's what it's going for. And that's what it wants to be. And when it punches the gore and when it punches those horror elements, it still works. You don't lose it to the immaturity of the rest of the film. Um, And yeah, if, if I was baked, I think once they mentioned Black Forest the first time, I would be Molly Sequin's character just sitting there going like, holy fuck, I want that cake. Like, so I'm happy I wasn't because I think I'd be distracted as hell the whole time. Dude, I want to go to the Cheesecake Factory. (laughs) I haven't been in so long. I swear they referenced it so much. I was like, I could go for some Cheesecake Factory right now. Skittles sound good, but she was eating like the yellow ones off the ground and I would just leave the yellow ones, honestly. No no yellow, green and red, let's be honest. For sure. Uh, I don't know... uh... (laughs) <laughs> i don't know if we have there's nothing else we can, can oh, really man. say there other than um, i'm gonna go ahead and you can put this on the poster hansel and gretel get baked is the sex lies and videotape of independent horror weed comedies there it is that's, that's what fun. you decided on hansel and gretel gets baked is the second hansel and gretel horror comedy that i like only the hansel and gretel witch hunters because i just want to mention that again i want to i want to talk about that movie i like that movie that's got more I have than five to reviews. I haven't seen that before, but maybe I'll watch that before Perkins, you know, brings his adaptation <laughs> here. Just do a Hansel and Gretel like marathon, get caught up in all the different like adaptations of this fairy tale. <laughs> if you do that, I still won't watch the Black Coat's Daughter because I can't get an Oz Perkins. Uh, what? I, really? Marissa, go pitch somebody a like. Here are all the Hansel and Gretel adaptations. Donato, go sit in the corner <laughs> and time out. Um, you know, I think there we've, we've established what we need to do for everybody. You know, normally at the end of the show is where we would decide whether a movie kind of should remain forgotten or deserves a second chance. I sort of feel like in this case, we all kind of know where we sit. I think the two of you are pretty clear 
in saying that Hansel and Gretel get baked is a movie that has a lot going for it. And I am just across the line on keep it in the canon. Um, I don't, I don't want this one out, but uh, man, I think like if I had had a headache or something during it, that might've been just enough to push me over. So maybe not, maybe not for everybody, but certainly for us. I mean, to, me- to mention though, it's got three positive and one negative. So it's not like one of those uh, I've only reviewed it or it's only got negative reviews. I mean, for the that's a pretty good percentage for certified forgotten movies, honestly. Do you have it open in front of you, the Rotten Tomatoes page? I do. Yeah. What's up? What are the other? Just out of curiosity, what are, what are the outlets that gave it positive reviews? Um, so that was Blu-ray.com, Mr. Brian Orndorff, and uh, Sean Monroe from What Culture. Okay. All right. That's be- it's better than I thought. I thought it was going to be somebody's like home blogs. So I am no, sure. No. Yeah. Gonna... It actually, too. I mean, I, I've seen uh, Orndorff. He does a lot of horror stuff. So I do. I, I do trust the man. And um, yeah, Sean Monroe got kind of nicked for plagiarism on What Culture. So whatever. <laughs> so we're down to two positive. So reviews. fuck that guy. Yeah. All right. <laughs> and fuck this movie, Marissa. If people want to follow you on social media, they want to see what you're writing. Um, connect with you online. Uh, talk about your social channels. Talk about the best places to go to to read your stuff. Oh man, um, I'm honestly not that active on social media. I'm trying to get better about it, but I am on Twitter. Um, you can follow me, just like my, my first and last name, Marissa underscore Mirabal. Yeah, that's what my handle is. And then um, the other social media outlets I keep private, but y'all are more than welcome to follow me on Twitter. Um, and then I'll post stuff um, that I write and contribute for slash film and birth movies death and every now and then a couple of other outlets that I'll write for and um, I have an exciting piece coming up for Fangoria here uh, in the next couple of issues so if any of y'all are Fangoria subscribers you can keep an eye out um, with that and if you're not you should subscribe so yeah nice I'm gonna I didn't realize you had a piece coming up I'm excited to read that yeah it's in the pipeline, but yeah, it'll be cool. So, I mean, again, Twitter, and that's where I'm at. Like, I communicate with you guys too. Um, just chat every now and then. I'm just not super uh, involved in Twitter. I need to get better about it. Yeah, you avoid the drama. You're not I was going to say, you don't need to get better about it. Trust me. No one's ever gotten better by going on Twitter more. I don't know, man. Yeah, I've only had it for like a year and a half, and I got it um, the first time I think I covered South by. And uh, I was like, okay, I guess I should finally, finally get on Twitter. So Listen, like even one of my tweets today, like went borderline viral. All I did is I tweeted out over the, uh, the new face face off remake. I'm like, yeah, oh, cast yeah. fucking Vanessa Kirby and Samara weaving you fucking cowards. And like, it took off and I'm like, oh, wow, cool. People agree with me. And then within like five minutes, it was people going like, uh, females in a face-off movie blah 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 and i'm like oh my god i don't want to know all these terrible terrible things on the internet like i like living in my bubble where i say something and no one says the evil shit like fuck twitter like i'm into i'll share my work and i'm into sharing other you know writers work and stuff but um yeah i keep it pretty minimal and then i'll you know talk about music every now and then too but yeah that's so, cool. You almost went viral, though. More viral <laughs> it's really man. Crazy. Yeah, notice how he managed. He managed to drop that humble brag. Into humble the end of the brag. So oh, I got some more on my sleeve. There you, you go. Okay. No, you're fine. No, you're good. So there you go. <laughs> if you if you want your Twitter experience to hashtag be best, follow Marissa. It's the nice side of film Twitter. Donato, <laughs> if people want to just dive head first into the shallow end, like what? How do they follow you? The Where do they go? At least give me the deep end of demon wind i am the deep end of demon <laughs> wind twitter and the gallows and uh yes you can find me as always at donato bomb on the twitter and the instagram and letterboxd you can find my writing on slash film you can find my writing on play disgusting red central flickering myth we got this covered adam insider and you can also find me in an upcoming issue of fangoria as well hopefully the same one as uh, marissa because i would like Ooh. to be fango bros with you as well so Fingers crossed, we'll uh, we'll yeah. cross paths on the print print Fangoria issue, and otherwise, just uh, yeah, cool. you can just keep listening to Certified Forgotten to hear me just yell demon wind at random times. It's true. <laughs> it's the most important contribution we have in every episode. As a matter of fact, I think people we should have a drinking game, which is just when Donato says demon wind in an episode, just drink until you wake up the next morning. 
Um, very simple game. Yeah, yeah, because it's the only way that you'll get through one of our certified forgotten. The episodes. worst version of Drinking with the Dead that you'll ever find. Um, as for me, you can find me on Twitter at Labsplice, L-A-B-S-P-L-I-C-E. I am not in an upcoming issue of Fangoria. I'm starting to feel a little left out here, folks. But I do pop up. I do pop up in other places. You'll find my stuff. Um, it's not so bad. Enjoy it. Uh, Marissa, thank you so much for, for joining us this time. And um, if you're listening and you're part of the crew coming to Fantastic Fest, come say hi to all of us. I think this is going to hit pretty much that week. So come say hello. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Can't wait to have you back sometime. And uh, Matt, should I take us out how I always do? After you, sir. Demon wins. Demon wins.